0: Well, good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Um, you know, as we look at Corinthians, uh, and as we've been discussing it for the last few weeks, I want you guys to keep in mind that the Corinthian church, they're going through division. And this is really what the first four chapters is dealing with, is division in the church. Division, there's a splintering, they're quarreling, they're fighting amongst each other because of an unhealthy an unhealthy uh, connection to a servant of God. And that's what Paul is going to bring out here in the next couple weeks. They have picked their favorite, right? I'm of Paul. I'm of Paulos. I'm of Peter. And then the ever so bold would say, I'm of Christ. But what what I want you to see is an unhealthy, an unhealthy connection. It's something, I, I believe this, it's something of identity. It's something that you pride yourself in. It's something that you would find yourself valuing in that person, whether it be the Apostle Paul because he led you to Christ, or Apollos because he's a man of, of intellect, a man of great uh, speaking abilities, and I'm, I'm just going to speculate he's probably a good-looking guy too. And then you have the Apostle Peter who could, you know, tell you the stories that, oh, I, oh when Jesus was by the Sea of Galilee, and I saw him raise Tabitha from the dead. And, and you're like, oh, now Peter, man, that guy, he's close to Jesus. And what it happens is, as the church picks its favorite, it becomes a popularity contest. And they, they, you know, they're all fighting for their candidate, right? They're all fighting for the guy they value the most. And the Apostle Paul's going, stop it. Stop it. You're You're tearing. You're tearing the body of Christ. It's because Paul's desire and the desire of Jesus is what for the church? Unity, right? That we love each other, that we support each other, that we encourage each other, that when someone falls, and we will, we don't kick them, we pick them up. We dust them off, we don't judge them, we don't throw rocks at them, we don't isolate them and, and look down on them. No, we we pick them up. And so Paul's desire for the church in Corinth, and he was there for a year and a half, so he knows these people. He knows them on a first name basis. They're not strangers to him. So he has a deep affection for them and a deep love. And so he's trying to bring them back towards what? The simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, and a life that reflects the gospel. And then I want you, I want to ask you guys a question. And it's something, really think about it. Does your life reflect the gospel? Does your life reflect the gospel? Everything that the gospel shows us, the work of Christ. Now, last week we saw, again, this, this contrast between the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the world, and the wisdom of Christ. Remember, Paul says in 124, To us who are being saved, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The church will have a tendency to focus on the power of God, right? The cross, the resurrection, the judgment of sin, the miraculous, the supernatural power of Jesus. But in the life of the Messiah, in the life of the anointed one, we find the wisdom of God and it's in conflict with the world, isn't it? The world, the Apostle, uh, James would write, the wisdom of the world is sensual, it's demonic, And in Christ we find the wisdom that comes from above, we find humility, service, generosity, grace, mercy, and these are the things that should form our lives. This mindset that we're not grasping to be great in the world, we're we're actually trying to serve the world, as Jesus was again an example to us. And this is a great conflict, and I'll be honest with you, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy. And I, and I think sometimes to be number one, we're number one, we're number one. That's so natural to us, isn't it? I don't know if you were that kid that when you played Monopoly and things were going dire for your empire, right, of hotels and houses and property, were you that kid that once you knew you were going to lose, destroyed the board? Ah! <sighs> you know, you're going to lose, so like preempt it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna nuke it. Boom! And then, but Christ is calling us to be who? The person that's gonna serve our spouse, serve our neighbor, serve our children, serve our grandchildren, serve our our siblings. This is what Christ is calling us to do. And and as the church goes in different directions of picking their favorite, it's dividing the body. But I want you to keep in mind, and the apostle Peter says this: it's first Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter two verse five, he's talking about the church, and he says, "You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." As we come together as the body of Christ, we offer spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. Unity is a must. It's an essential. It's something to be strived for. And I I believe this. The church needs peacemakers. The church needs peacemakers. Someone that will be the one to go and we know that someone's hurt. We go to try to what? Bring peace. Especially when gossip is inserted into the congregation. We need people, peacemakers going, that's not true. Hey, what you heard? Number one, we got to stop that. Number one. But number two, that's not true. And we bring truth into the situation. Again, because how does does the enemy divide? He sows seeds of discontent. And gossip, I'll tell you right now, gossip is one of the great cancers of most churches I've been a part of. So I want want you to see this. Last week we closed out with this one verse. We're going to look at a little bit more here in a bit. But notice what he says there. uh, Chapter 2, verse 16, the very end there, he says but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have a mind that knows what God has prepared for those who love Him. And and, and the idea there is that once this revelation is given to us, once this comprehension or the beginning of this comprehension is given to us as we understand our adoption, as we understand the grace that is bestowed upon us and the love that God pours out upon our lives, we begin to value this, the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ, but what's the problem with the um, the Corinthian church? Go down to verses chapter three, verse one. Look what he says. But brothers and sisters, but I, brothers and sisters, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh while there is jealousy and strife among you are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way for when one says i follow paul and another i follow apollos are you not being merely human notice how many times he 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 tells us their motivation. He tells us how, how they're driven, what, what gets them motivated, what they're submitting themselves to. Notice what he says there. People of the flesh, you are still of the flesh. Are you not of the flesh? Are you not being merely human? So I want you to see something. And I, I, so natural for us to be of the flesh, isn't it? Comes easy. <laughs> it comes easy. It's not a battle. You know, when the Spirit becomes part of our lives, it is a battle. We are, we are keenly aware of our ego, our pride, our selfishness, our, lamp, our, 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 our lack of empathy and, and our lack of compassion for people because the Spirit is pushing back on the flesh. But what's going on in Corinth is that they're constantly giving in to the flesh. We're going to get into that more in a second. But the first thing I really want you to look at is there in verse 1. Notice what he says to them again. Brothers and sisters... Paul always, always, notice he always, and when he addresses you, he doesn't address you as a stranger. He doesn't address you as somebody that he's never met. You're my brother. You're my sister in Christ. Come on, guys. There's always that affection. The affection is always there. It's, it's never absent of affection. There, there's always this relational quality to, to his, in his uh, communication with people. There's a relationship. You know, one thing I love is God never does anything from a distance. God never does anything from a distance. He's, he's not into this push button thing, these drone attacks, right? Or drone blessings. God comes in the person with scarred, sta- with scarred hands to bring blessing. And I want you to see that when Paul addresses the, this rebellious, carnal, selfish, sexually deviant church, Paul still says, You're my brothers and sisters. And guys, remember what he said, too, back in verse 3. He said, or back in verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. A lot of translations, be is not there. It's called saints. And I want you to keep this in mind, because so often we're always trying to judge people. Do they measure up? Do they measure up to my spirituality? Do they measure up to my idea of where you should be? But Paul always he sees you in the in the infancy of your faith, and he says you are a saint. You're not call, you're not going to be one someday if you're in Christ. You are being sanctified. You are a saint, and we, and he wants them to, to again to take hold of their character and that reality as they come to Christ, it's not trying to earn that salvation. It's living in the reality of that salvation. It's not the idea of freedom. It's living in the reality of freedom that Christ wants to give us as people of God. It's not saying, stop acting like that. He says, start being who you are in Christ. So I want you to see that. Now, I also want you to see something else. He says this in verse one, I could not address you as spiritual people as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. I couldn't address you as spiritual people. I want you to think for just a second, what does a spiritual person look like to you? What does a spiritual person act like to you? Really think about it. because I, I'm, I'm like, I mean, Paul has a definite idea of where they should be in their spiritual journey and how they should be in that spiritual journey. But they're obviously not there. They're obviously, as he says, infants in Christ. I can't address you as spiritual people. And why does he say that? He doesn't say it because of what they believe. Notice that. He does not go after what they believe. Like there's some deficiency in their understanding of the gospel. Actually, he knows they do understand that. But what's the problem? Look what he says. It's right down here. In verse, um, in verse uh, 3, and even now, are you, uh, um, you're not ready, speaking of spiritual food, for you're still the flesh. How does he know this? For while there is jealousies and strife among you, they are infants in Christ, they are milk drinkers, right? Their conduct is one, or their inner struggle is one of jealousy, right? Jealousy, and their conduct to each other is what? Quarreling, strife. A friction going head to head. Remember what Paul says there in in Galatians 5.20. Go there just really quick. It's not going to come up on your screen. I hope you brought your Bibles. But I want you to see something that, how Paul describes people being in the flesh. These are the fruits of the flesh here in Galatians 5.20. Paul says this. He says, uh, now, back in verse 19 for context sake, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Notice what he says next. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Then drunkenness, orgies, those are obvious. But notice those those ones in the middle there. Jealousy, strife, enmity. Does that describe the Corinthian church? (laughs) Rivalries. Dissensions, divisions. I really want you think about this. Is there any area in your life, think about it, be honest, where you have rivalry with somebody? Where you have division with somebody? Where you have jealousy towards somebody? Where you have envy? What would Paul tell you? Hey, Armando, you're... Man, you're, li- you're being led by the Spirit. Oh, man, the fruits of the Spirit are just coming. No, he'd be like, Armando, grow up. <laughs> stop it. What are you doing? Stop being jealous. Stop, stop, stop. Because here's the thing. I want you to see something. We know that the, the stem or the root of their jealousy and their envy with each other and their strife with one another is because they are giving themselves to the cultic personality thing. It's not because they have their eyes on Jesus. It's because they have their eyes on man. It's not because they have their eyes upon what Christ has done. They have their eyes upon how Christ uses somebody. They don't have their eyes on what the fruit of the Spirit is. They have their eyes on the gifts God has given a certain personality. And because, and here's the thing. This idea of jealousy, this idea of jealousy, I want you to understand something. It's a a zeal. It's a zeal. It's a it's a zeal for a person or a thing. It's a zeal that means what a passion. It means something that you're jealous for, that you're defensive of, and it's this zeal, this zeal for something that causes us to be envious of others, contentious rivalry, again jealousy, and the fruit of that is going to be what strife, quarrelling with other people. It's a constant friction. Now the thing I want you to understand about this and, and when they use this word in the New Testament and they also used it with the church fathers like Polycarp, Ignatius, Echibus. Uh, and when they used the word jealousy you know the context they always put it in? Cain's feelings towards Abel. Now really think about it you guys. Cain sees Abel's sacrifice be accepted. His rejected. Cain Gets jealous of who? His brother, right? And what was the fruit of that jealousy? Murder. Think about it. Paul's saying, you guys are being jealous. You have a zeal, but it's not for holiness, and it's not for righteousness. It's not for God. It's for me, or Apollos, or Peter. And that zealousness, that zealousness is causing you to be angry towards jealous of, envious of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're dividing the body because you're allowing this jealousy because you have a zeal, a passion for the wrong thing. For the wrong thing. We're, We're seeing that now. I mean, we see it all over the world, isn't it? But it should not be that way in the church. Our our zeal should be towards Christ, and we need to grow up. And and the idea that Paul keeps bringing up the flesh, in other translations, he says, you're being influenced by the flesh. You're living by the flesh. You're being influenced by the flesh. You're being influenced by the flesh. And we're, we're supposed to be influenced by the Spirit. We're supposed to walk in the Spirit. We're supposed to be taught by the Spirit. But Paul is going, you're living just barely, you're living on your most base desires, which are carnal, fleshly, and they're not. What? Maturing. You're not growing up. Remember what John the Baptist said? What did he say when confronted with Jesus and his ministry was dwindling? And his disciples were what? John, John, that guy you baptized, that guy Jesus, he's getting more followers than you are. He had more likes on his Instagram than you did, right? He has more followers on Instagram than you do. And what did John say? That's good. That's good. He must increase and I must decrease. You, and, and then you could see, like, his disciples gone, man, I think we, we hooked our wagon up to the wrong guy here. I think we should be following that Jesus guy now, right? But they were what? Jealous for John. So jealous for John, they didn't like that Jesus was getting more followers, even though John says, He's the one. He's the one. And they're like, Yeah. You're first. He's second, right? Now, I want you to see something else. I want you to see that there's this infantile mentality, incarnality, but, but, they're still in Christ. Do you see that? What does he say to them? I want to address you as spiritual people, but I can't. Why? Because you're infants in Christ. They're still in Christ. So here's this thing, you guys. There is obviously implied that we need to grow spiritually. And and the idea of of growing, I believe, starts here. Pick up your cross, deny, deny, right? I believe that's where maturity begins. That's 101 Christianity. Because again, I don't have my cross on today, but crosses to us usually are are, are jewelry, right? They're symbols. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't get to have a symbol. You get your own. You get your own cross. And it begins by understanding what it means when you pick it up. You will die to yourself. Now, I, I mean, I, I just—I mean, we, we, will, we will witness it one day. Could you imagine a group of people that live to serve other people? How sweet would that fellowship be? You see it in good marriages. You see it in good relationships when parents humble themselves even with their children. There's something life-giving to it. I I can't explain it because it goes against everything we have in the world. But I can't explain it because it reflects everything of Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying they're infants. So I want you to think about something. Again, we go back to that question. What does a spiritual person look like? Now, last week we saw it. They're a person that, what, reveal? There's a person that receives from the Spirit that which God wants to give you the person that receives from the Spirit all that God wants to give you. So it's not earned, it's grace, right? It's not of your flesh, you're not gonna, it's not about your IQ level, it's not about your IQ, it's about what the Holy Spirit reveals and how you act in faith to apprehend or to go forward or to pursue, right? So let me ask you this question, who do we find in Scripture? Scripture. That would be an example of someone who receives. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16. Because in the Apostle Peter, we find both. We find the sweetness of the Spirit, and we find the bitterness of the flesh. In one story, one story, Peter, uh, Vince Scully would always say this, the guy would hit a home run, right, and he's proud, and he flips his bat, and he goes around the bases. The next time he's up, he's struck out on three pitches. And, and Vince Scott would always say, from the penthouse to the cellar, right? From the penthouse to the cellar. And this is what happens with Peter. Let's read it. Chapter, chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 16. Simon Peter replied, remember, Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Notice the next line, you guys, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you what was the, what was paul 's point last week? Stop being flesh, stop being blood, stop being merely human. stop stop doing that. why flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it so Peter. Something about something happened to Peter as Christ asked the question and they all began to go, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Well, some say you're John the Baptist, right? They're thinking. They're going through it. They're kind of deducting. They're kind of, again, spiritual men, godly men, Elijah, great men. And then Peter goes, no. No, you're not any of those people. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. And you see the smile. And here's the thing. I wonder... I wonder if the other 11 all had the same knowledge, but they didn't have the guts to say it. I have the problem that Peter has. He always sticks his foot in his mouth. But every once in a while, every once in a while, he'll say something profound, right? And what he says is profound. And right away, I I, I think Jesus is trying to teach Peter a lesson. You didn't get that on your own. You know you didn't. Keep living like that, Peter. Because every time you want to do something, yeah, don't do that. Don't make boasts. Don't make promises you can't keep, right? He says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. And Here's the thing. Let's be honest with you. We're there. We're a bird on a branch. We're watching it. Do you think Peter went like this, or he went like this? Well, come on, be honest. What do you think he did? I don't think he's just like, Lord, thank you, Lord. I'm very humbled. I'm very humbled by that. No, he's like, yeah, John, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. And Peter and Jesus smiles at him. You're the, on this rock, man. Spirit, revelation, right? But what happens next? And I want you to keep this in mind, what Jesus says, John 16, 6, 63. Um, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Peter's confession is life. Peter's confession is revelation from the Father, not of his reasoning or his deduction or his logic. It's something that is revealed to him, and he responds. He responds to what God has revealed. I want you to see that. And I want you to understand something. Guys, I, I want to encourage you daily. Be in the Word. Be in the Word and as you are in the word, you, I say, when I pray every Sunday, we invite the Holy Spirit to come. Well, you want, we want the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. We want the Holy Spirit to apply the word to us, but we have to get in the word. We have to. And God is going to reveal a few things. One, the beauty is going. To, he's going to reveal his heart. He's going to reveal his mind. It is beautiful. But you know what else is going to happen? He's going to reveal my heart to me too. And that's where in that revelation I have to act. I have to obey, I have to submit, I have to humble myself, I have to confess my sin. If i broken bond with somebody, I go and I ask for forgiveness. And that's the Spirit, that is not me, no way. I'm thinking, live with it. You got a problem with me? Live with it, alright? That's who I am. And God's like, no, no, they're not going to live with it, because I'm not going to let you live with it. Deny yourself, okay? But it's of the Spirit, and it's of the, it's of the Lord. But what happens when the flesh comes out? We're going to find out now. Go down a few verses. Chapter 16, verse 22. Jesus tells him he's going to the cross. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed over. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be spit upon. But on the third day, he'll rise again. So now what does Peter do? He steps up again. But look what happens. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, that this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And notice what he says next. You are a hindrance to me. Here's the point, you guys. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Wisdom, where does it come from? God comes from down from above. Where does our wisdom come from? Setting our minds on the things of man. You know what we find out in Peter here? Peter wants the throne, but he doesn't want the cross. He wants glory, but he doesn't want suffering. He wants the throne, but he doesn't want the cross. He wants wants the glory, but he doesn't want the suffering. He wants to be served, but he does not want to serve. He's setting his mind on the things of man, and he gets, him, he gets these roadblocks and he puts them in front of Jesus. You're not going to the cross. And Jesus is like, Peter, you don't get it. If I don't go to the cross, there is no future for man. There is none. When we are, when we are acting merely human, when we are acting like everybody else in the world, it's because we're setting our minds on the things of man and not on the things of God. So whether it be your finances, politics, whatever is going on, my encouragement to us would be we don't start with the problem of man. We start with the answer that is God. We start by looking at this world not through the temporary conditions and circumstances that are always changing, but we get our heart and our minds focused on the unchanging one. Because I'm going to tell you something when... um, Augustine, who was in Algiers, North Africa, and the barbarians came, and they were ransacking Carthage, right? Whatever was left of Carthage after the Romans got done with it. Augustine thought the world was ending. Was he right? Was he right? But did it seem like it to him? Absolutely. Was God the same yesterday? Is God the same today? See, as we come into this world, don't get dragged into it. Please, don't. Because I'm telling you right now, our reactions, and I want to emphasize that, our reactions usually are not spiritual. They're carnal. They're anger. They're strife. They're quarreling. Why? Because I like my man more than I like your man. I like my solution more than your solution. And all I would ask is, my question would be this. Well, which one's of Jesus? Right? We cannot be like Peter. And I want you to see something. As we understand what it is to be a mature believer, that means we're going to the Lord for the answers. We're going to the Lord for strength. We're going to the Lord for wisdom. We are. We've we got to be at His feet. And we got to allow him to minister to us his truth, to apply it in a way that transforms not just our lives, but even the situation. And he will show you. He will. But we've just got to take the time to do it and have the discipline to do it. But again, do not set your mind on the things of man. There is a a chasm between the two, and we see it in Peter. Because I'm going to ask you guys something. Did Peter say this because... He hated Jesus? What was his motivation for telling the Lord, no, don't do that, Jesus? What was his motivation? I think he loved the Lord. I, I really don't, I mean, he is inserting himself in there, for sure. But it's not for position at this point. He's like, you're kind of, why? No, 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 no. Same thing with Paul in the book of Acts. Acabus comes up to him, gets a belt, Ties his hands, and he says, so too is the man that goes to Jerusalem. He'll be imprisoned. Don't go, Paul. Paul's like, I'm going. I already got my ticket. I'm already, I'm going, right? And everybody's going, don't go, Paul. Don't go there. You're going to be imprisoned. You're going to go to Rome. Paul's like, and that is the will of God for me. Don't stop it. You guys are troubling my heart. What's their motivation? Is it hatred or position? No, it's I love Paul. But here's the thing. Even our affections sometimes can be tainted by the mind of man. By the mind of man. And what I mean by that, sometimes we think we know best, and we don't. I'll give you guys a crazy illustration. This is crazy, and it's not for the weak hearted. I heard this story from some YWAM missionaries when I was in Europe. We were really good friends with YWAM. And one of the bases in Hawaii, they have a base there, a a DTS, a Discipleship Training Center. They have a Discipleship there in in Hawaii. And uh, the guys, the overseers, the leaders, had a son. And this son was not walking with the Lord. He was gangbanging, right? He's going out and he's slinging drugs and getting in gunfights, right? Crazy stuff. And, um, you know, obviously mom and dad aren't happy. And mom and dad are praying what? God protect him. God watch over him. God put a shield about him. Never got hurt. Some missionaries come out of Asia, and they're talking about their son. And one of the missionaries from Asia says to him, well, how are you praying for your son? And they tell him, we're praying that God protects him. I mean, it's crazy the things he's going into and the things he's getting himself into. And what do the missionaries say? Don't pray for protection. Pray for God's will. Guess what? They started praying for God's will. Guess what happened that Friday night? Son got shot with two bullets in his chest. Bang, bang. In the hospital. He survives. Guess what happens to the son? Gives his life to the Lord and he becomes a missionary. Stop praying your will and start praying God's. Like I said, it's not for the weak-hearted man. And neither is the cross. The wisdom of man the wisdom of God. The will of man, the will of God. Do you think they're the same? The only times they're the same is when we finally say, your will be done. And I want you to see, because when we, when we begin to discern and look at things through spiritual eyes, we have the wisdom to deal with them, but to see spiritual implications. Not cause and effect, but spiritual, eternal implications. That's the goal With the eyes of God and the wisdom of God. You know who had it? Do you know who had this wisdom? Joseph. Joseph. Look what happens there in Genesis 50. Jacob's dead. His brothers who sold him into slavery are scared, thinking, Joseph's going to get his back now. Joseph is going to have his day. Vengeance is mine, right? Joseph's still the second most powerful man in Egypt. And these guys, 10 of them, Benjamin's okay, He was was too young. But the other guys, man, they sold him into slavery. They beat him up, put him in a pit. And then when uh, the Ephraimites walked by a caravan, they're like, hey, let's make some money off our brother. And they sell him into slavery. And was Joseph's life easy after that? No, he's doing good. And Potiphar's wife comes on to him again and again. And poor Joseph, he does what's right. And what does it get him? 15 years in the can. Fifteen years in the can. Think about it. For doing what? What's right? But we all know what happens. God takes him out of the can and puts him on a throne. And God does a miraculous work through Joseph's life, not just to save Joseph, but to save the world. Right? There's a famine. and Joseph had the wisdom how to deal with that famine. He's reconciled with his family. But now dad is dead and his brothers are like, oh man, he has us right where he wants us. Right? He has us right where he wants us. He's going he's gonna to get us back. So they con- concoct this story in their wisdom. Hey, Joseph, I know dad didn't tell you this, but he told us. Uh, before he died, he wanted us to tell you not to beat us up and not to kill us. He, that was dad's wish. And you love dad, Joseph. What does Joseph say? Verse 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good and to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What does Joseph have? What does Joseph have? He has wisdom. He looks at his life. Now, honestly, if we were to take God out of his life, like God's not there, and you just look at his life. Look at everything he went through—the suffering. Uh, as, as Psalm um, Psalm one nineteen, no, Psalm one fifteen or one o five says that in a in a in a iron uh in a co- iron collar, uh, his neck was bound and he was his feet were in fetters. And Joseph learned his dreams tested him. They tested him. So Joseph's life was not easy. It was actually very painful. And you're to say Joseph. Without God in it, take God out. How do you think Joseph would react to his brothers? Karma. I got you now. Right? But now you insert God, and how does he see it? He's like, you know what? Even though your intentions were wrong, and you meant evil towards me, which was wrong, God took what you meant for evil against me, Man, God's done something great, hasn't he? And he's weeping. Joseph's weeping as he tells his brothers this because he has God's perspective. I'm going to tell you guys something right now. We've all suffered on some level. I I know a lot of your stories. I can look around this room right now, and I know a lot of your stories. Not good relationships with mom and dad. You've lost somebody or multiple people. You've been wrong. You've been mistreated. Okay, my heart, my heart breaks for you. But now, what do you think God wants to do with all that? Something good. But do you see it yet? Because see, here's what happens to us. Most of us who have suffered so terribly in our lives, we, get, we allow it to make us bitter we allow it to make us angry. We allow it to make ourselves victims and poor us. And why, why would God allow that if He loved me? And but wait, stop. Look at Joseph. And look what Paul says God works out all things, even the terrible, if we'll allow Him. And that's what a spiritually mature person does. They allowed this defeat that looks, because again, look at the wisdom of the cross to the world and to many, to many to this day. They look at what Jesus suffered and say, he cannot be God and he's not God's man because God doesn't lose. God doesn't suffer. And we look at the cross going, that's the beauty. Don't you see it? That's the victory. Don't you see it? And they're like, no, 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 no. That is not the victory. Yes, it is. They don't see it. But I'm telling you, when you look at Joseph and you look at how he looked at his life and as he looked at all the suffering, all the pain, all the failure, supposed failure, God was working something in him that was so glorious, so beautiful that many were kept alive because he, he always allowed God to use him in it. He could have been in that jail and these guys in their dreams, and he'd probably go, I know, I know the interpretation. Tell us now, I don't feel like it. I don't want you getting out because I'm stuck here, right? But then what does he He goes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, okay, tell me the dream. You're the dream. You're the dream whisperer. And he's like, no, 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 it's not me, it's my God. My God is the one who's going to tell you. Did you see that? After everything he suffered, you guys. But that's a person who's able to discern and to judge and to evaluate circumstances through faith. Through faith. And that's what the Corinthian church was lacking. That's what they were lacking. So again, it's understanding everything he went through, God used to bring about good, good, good for people. So what does a spiritual person look like then? Go back with me to chapter 2, 1 Corinthians. Just briefly, we're going to look at this. It says, and we impart impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural man does not accept these things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord, so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. A couple things really quick. Being Christ-minded, number one, the person receives from the Spirit, verse 12. The mature believer is taught, verse 13. Now, the thing I want you to see about verse 14 is that he says there in verse 14 that the person, the natural man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God but are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what does that mean? The spiritual person can discern, discern. And that word translated in other, in other books, then ASB is discerned, and ESV it's judges Um, in In the New Jerusalem Bible, it's value everything. And in the Christian Standard Bible, it means to evaluate. So there's going to take some thought, some meditation, chewing on it, praying over it, to where God can now give you the proper understanding of how to evaluate what God has revealed. Do you see that? Really think about it. The implications of the truth. If I say, let's just take one verse. If you believe the truth, the truth will set you free. What does that mean? I believe in gravity. That's true. How's that going to set me free? Right? I believe I need oxygen to live. How's that going to set me free? What truth is he talking about? Obviously, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the atonement. He's talking about the work of Christ. But it takes the Spirit of God to begin now to what? Unravel the chains of our bondage of ego and pride and bitterness and unforgiveness and all the things and all the areas that we are bound to. My addictions as a young man were obvious. Alcohol and drugs and sex, they're obvious. Okay, God sets me free. Oh my gosh, that was just the beginning. That was just the beginning. Anger towards my dad. didn't even recognize it until I got saved. Bitterness towards my brother. Didn't recognize it until I got saved. Oh my gosh, I thought I was humble. I'm not humble. I'm proud. I have ego. I'm selfish. Marriage taught me that. (laughs) Marriage was a really good lesson on how selfish I am. I mean, I could go down a list, you guys, but the truth set me free. Link, one link at a time. But I believe that's how we evaluate We evaluate evaluate our lives. We evaluate the situations. We discern. We can discern. And it's because the person who possesses the heart and mind of God possesses the wisdom, and now we are good for judging things. We judge things correctly. We have good judgment. So the mature believer, then, I would say this, has the mind of Christ. Christ. And when we think about our mind, it's responsible for our thoughts and our feelings, and we have a seat, a faculty of reason. We get it. We go forward. We understand spiritual truth. We understand the higher powers of our lives and of the soul. We understand divine things. We recognize good and evil. I would say this, the mature believer then is a person who lives by faith. Look what uh, the Apostle Peter says. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So let me ask you guys something. What is it then to have the same way, to to think the same way Jesus thought? What does that look like to you? Well, I hope it's our theme verse here at the church. Mark 10:45 The Son of man has not come to be served but to serve but to serve What else does that mean I live for the will of God I live for the will of God not for my own So that means what I don't go to God saying put your stamp on this right I want this You got it Armando Lord I want that You got it Armando No Lord your will be done in my life. I'll be honest with you guys. My best years of living on this planet, my simple prayer was, your will be done. Where do you want me to go? I'll go. My problem was, I kind of bring in Amanda on the back end of that. Hey, we're going. Where? Nebraska. Why? God told me. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't work out, guys. Too well for me. Later on. She's like, Amanda, I was okay with God's will. I just didn't like how you told me about it. I had to be more discerning. <laughs> I had to evaluate. I wasn't good at that. But I've gotten better. But again, I want you to see that. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And notice the context. Since therefore Christ suffered. I'm going to tell you guys something. The will of God is not going to keep you uh, free from suffering. It's not. And we think it does. We think it does. How could this be the will of God? I'm Suffering. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mindset. Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane. Go and give God everything. Tell him, Lord, is there any way this cup could pass from me? Let him know. Be honest. But at the end of that prayer, simply say this, but not my will, but yours be done. I want your will, God, because that's the greatest good. I want your will, God, because that's how you're glorified. I want your will, God, because that's how your evidence in the world is through my life. And if you look at a Christian, I'm going to tell you guys something. The power of the early church, the power of the first four centuries of the church was that Christians suffered well. You don't like that, do you? They did. Read history. Read church history. The world looked at them and they're like, man, they have hope in the midst of their suffering. How is that possible? Look at it. Look at it as they, they sing and they accept it. And they're, God, give me strength. God, give me wisdom. I mean, I love that. I think it's Quo Vadis, the movie. They're, Nero's laughing as they bring the Christians into the arena. He's laughing at them. Because they're scared. I would be too. I'm going to get torn apart by wild beasts. Not the way I want to go. I'm thinking maybe in my sleep, right? Like we're going to negotiate this, Lord. Maybe in my sleep. Just, I'm just gone. I depart. That doesn't sound too bad. These guys are walking into the arena knowing wild beasts are waiting for them. And they're scared. And Nero's laughing. <laughs> and then here comes Peter. He comes into the arena. And he goes, sing, my children, sing. For today you'll be in paradise. And they began to sing. In the movie, Nero gets infuriated. Christians suffered well. And it's a testimony to the world. There's more than this world that matters. We do. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Christ suffered. We're not above our master. We're going to go through it. But we don't go through it alone. And I'm going to tell you that right now. I could tell you that. It's one thing I've learned through all my suffering. He was always there. Even when I was mad at him. He was... I'm right here, Armando. I know you are. I'm just ticked off. I'm so... I know. But you're not alone. I know, Lord. I know. The the Christian is going to live by faith. That means what? Having the mind of Christ... We're going to live in the Spirit. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit's going to teach us. He's going to bring to reminder those scriptures that we need in our hour of need. In a moment of desperation, somehow the the, the peace of spirit that surpasses understanding comes to us as we begin to understand the what? The promises of God that are for that moment, for that time. He's going to teach us. He's going to guide us. John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Do you guys see the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Do you see it now? Do you see why he says, walk in the Spirit? Paul says it. we got to keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You know what this reminds me of when I think about keeping in step? Us following the good shepherd. Us following him. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Pray through that one for a minute. I shall not want. Think about that. I shall not want. I want a lot. (laughs) Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Think about that. Meditate on it. Keep in step. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You know, last night, I finally watched the new Top Gun. New Top Gun. And I thought of this when I was watching it when they're going through the valley and Mavericks hauling, you know, going mock whatever. And then the other guy's behind and they're like, hey, you're falling behind. Hey, you're falling behind. If you don't catch up with them, man, they're going to take you out. You better step on it, man. And Mavericks just flying, man. Right? I feel sometimes the Spirit's like, come on. <laughs> Don't drag your feet. Come on, obey me. Victory's right around the corner. Blessing's right around the corner. But you gotta go. You can't stay where you are. Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with Him. Go when He says go. Stop when He says stop. Pillar cloud or pillar fire at night and a cloud by day. Follow. I mean, I love... Those, those miraculous moments in my life where I pray in the morning, Lord, any divine appointment you have for me, may I be there at the right time in the right place with the right attitude. <laughs> and then God uses you and it's just like so miraculous. Just, you can't explain it. Divine appointments, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 10, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep and to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep, look what it says, hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Do you know the voice of Christ? Be honest. Do you know the voice of Jesus? Let me ask you this question. Do you believe God wants to talk to you? Do you believe the shepherd wants to talk to you. Because if you don't, guess what? You're not listening. You're not listening. The sheep hear his voice, and they know it. This Kate Wilkinson wrote this short poem, and I love it. May the mind of Christ, my Savior, live in me from day to day. By his love and power controlling all I do and say. I love that. I believe that's what Paul is talking about. They don't, the Corinthian church, they're carnal-minded. They're being influenced by the, by the flesh. So what should we, wouldn't it be cool if Paul would say this to them? Oh, and I'm, oh uh, but I, brothers and sisters, I have addressed you as spiritual people, uh, not as infants in Christ, but as mature in Christ. I fed you solid food, solid food, and you were ready for it. And even now, you're ready for more and still you are of the Spirit. For while there is there, while there is peace and harmony among you, are you not of the Spirit and behaving like Spirit-filled believers? For one says, I praise God, I will always praise God, and I'll always follow God. Aren't we all one body? Wouldn't that be a better beginning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Because that's what the Apostle Paul wanted to write but they weren't ready. So I want to just close with this idea. In the body, in the church, if you ain't got nothing nice to say to someone, then keep it to yourself. Right? If you don't have nothing nice to say, then don't say it. If you're judging somebody and feeling you're you're spiritually superior, look at the cross and reevaluate. Reevaluate what you're going to say. And then finally, what your mom would say to you. If you don't have nothing nice to say, then don't say it at all. I've had reports, brothers and sisters, that some of us are not playing nice with the others. Sharp words, judgment, criticism. And I'm like the Apostle Paul. I'm shocked by it. I'm dumbfounded. I'm baffled. How can we act like that? Let it not be so. Let it not be so. Let us encourage each other with spiritual songs and with thanksgiving. Amen? Amen? And if you wouldn't want to hear it, then maybe you should say it. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you now and we get ready for communion. Meet us at your table. Lord, help us discern even the, the body and the blood of Christ. Help us discern what it means to us.